Hey folks, Armin Hammer here, and you are about to enjoy a brand new episode of the Sand Podcast, in which we talk about a whole bunch of stuff, from the newly announced West Coast Classic to why Fran isn't used as a benchmark for the most elite CrossFitters anymore. But most importantly, the Sand merch is finally available for you to purchase. You can find all of those Tired is Enough t-shirts, both the Miami Vice version and the Dare version, on ArminHammerTV.MyShopify.com. You can also find some really special, limited run only, Boner the Rainbow Pinata hoodies and pocket tees. Anyway, check it out, folks. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you guys next time. Welcome to this episode of Small Areola Nipples, something <laughs> none of us are familiar with. No, no not certainly not. And I can, I can confirm, uh, Armin was just... Uh, uh, just removed his shirt here in the kitchen for all of us to see. So we got we got a little we got a little status check on the nipples. Yep, They're I'm still, still big. Yep, forty percent areola. Yes, I don't even mostly. know what who to report that to. I yeah. don't know if I report it. The farmers all HR thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can email HR at sandpodcast.com and uh, they'll get right back. But they'll just that. come to me. <laughs> I think what was more, but what was more interesting was the little social experiment, which was we were about to do um, a little mini photo shoot in Armin's backyard before yep. the podcast started for the new merch. We'll get to that in a minute. But very clearly, the podcast was divided into two camps immediately. We, we, we segregated ourselves into two camps. There were those people who were comfortable changing their shirts in mixed company <laughs> and there were those who waited for the bathroom and i think you can all guess anyone who's been listening to this for any period of time what 50 percent of the podcast was comfortable changing their shirts in the kitchen <laughs> and what 50 percent waited for the bathroom well i i just want to say first of all it's my house yes so you guys are lucky i'm ever if it were my, if it were my <laughs> well that, i'm gonna point that out. if it were my house i also would have gone to the bathroom to change my shirt because <laughs> no what, one has seen me with my shirt off in about 25 years yeah at my house true when i'm alone i'm you know balls out all the time yeah. but the uh, the idea of Anyone seeing me even swimming without a shirt yeah. on, it's just <laughs> it's not it's just not going to happen. It's not just Cliff Arm at Cliff's house. It's Cliff Taint as yes, well exactly. all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Well, how else are you going to dry that area if not on the couch? That's right. Um, Best to air dry. It's <laughs> actually what they made those arms on couches for. Yeah. It's so you can pull your arm. leg up. <laughs> it's yeah. so you can just dry. <laughs> so you can yeah. sort of Captain Morgan it and then air dry everything mm. out. Yeah, um, but yeah, I recently, uh, I guess it was when it was still hot outside, I went to, uh, for those, anyone who's familiar with Austin, you know that a big f- uh, fixture in Austin, a thing, of, uh, is Barton Springs. Everyone goes to Barton Springs. Everyone. Huge, naturally occurring spring slash swimming pool, gorgeous, uh, cold water, yada, yada, yada. I've lived in Austin for coming up on 16 years. I just went there for the first time uh, this summer, which was a shock to a lot of people. And, and then I explained to them, that I don't go places where people can see me with my shirt off ever. And that was really the first time in, in, in quite a long time. So I avoid it at whenever I can. So, uh, fair enough. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, this, this episode's name, by the way, Small Areola Nipples, uh, comes from Killa Cam mm-hmm. on Instagram. So thank Damn, you very much. Damn, Killa Cam? Killa, Cameron from Dipset? <laughs> underscore Cam 315. Oh, that's probably Damn. not the Killa Cam. I don't think so. I don't yeah. think it's, I don't, it might be, it might be, it might be a secret version secret in well if it is instagram account i love welcome to new york city from uh, purple haze yeah. thank you for that i wish i understood anything is that hip-hop this is all hip-hop isn't it that's um, new york rap 
You mentioned Kyle that we were we were warming up for the show by mm-hmm. uh, putting on our sweet merch yep. and going out back for a couple photos. Yeah, which unfortunately I've removed it now, and I'm just this is all body paint, <laughs> just like the old Sports <laughs> Illustrated custom one on one body paint. Job. That's why I was very self conscious yeah. for a while. But it now looks that it's great. Been painted on, yeah, I've I have a lot of folds <laughs> that I'd like to get rid of in my skin. But aside from that, yeah, yeah. Uh, we debuted we debuted these these designs last week. Week, mm-hmm. The uh, the dare throwback tired is enough shirt wearing it right sleeve. now. It's nice. What are your tired thoughts? Is this enough. is the first time you're you're this holding it, feeling I, it. I I think it's fantastic. It's a good. It's uh, the long sleeve is nice because it's it's it can easily be pulled up. You don't want the ones if it's too tight around the sleeve, it pulls up very nicely. But mostly, I'm just proud of the fact that tired is enough has survived the last two years or however long and has become the official slogan of the podcast. It 100%. has. Yeah. It has indeed. You guys uh you really you really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It's very very true. Plus one thing that only occurs to me now after looking at these shirts is that it actually forms a coherent statement if mm-hmm. you say it all out loud. Scale as needed, tired as enough. It's true. That's right. The yeah. entire thing is a logo, motto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's words to live by. It's a mission statement. <laughs> it is a mission statement. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. The entire thing is a mission statement. Yeah. I, what was it? Uh, someone was posting on Instagram something like scaling is your friend or something. It's it was probably Pat, Pat Sherwood. It was Pat Sherwood. Yeah, yeah it was Pat Sherwood, a fan of the podcast. Um, <laughs> Pat Sherwood uh, posted, which I thought, well, clearly um, our influence in the community is catching on because why else would someone scale unless they were a big fan of That's the true. podcast? It's very true. Just remember, every time that you're scaling, mm-hmm. an angel gets its wings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little known fact, but and that angel is sunny. Look, where is he? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, he look is. Look at him back there. Yeah, he is. So uh, there's another new mm-hmm. product at this table right now. Yes, that you guys who are watching can see. Oh yeah, and it's the shirt that I'm wearing. It's got a little bit of a, yeah. a boner cartoon. Yes. on the on the pocket. It's That's a right. pocket tee with boner the rainbow pinata. Nice. Right on the heart where he belongs. Yes. See, a lot of people listening, only listening right now, are now got very disappointed yeah. when you corrected. <laughs> yeah. They assumed it's that an it was actual a boner, boner. Yeah. A boner yes. on there, modeled after Armin himself. That's right. <laughs> That's what they're imagining in their minds in that ten seconds. It would have to be a much smaller pocket and bent in the middle <laughs> to the left. That's right. Uh, yeah, the I uh, think shaped roughly the same either way. It's just the coloration is different. That's probably pretty close. Yeah, have you made that <laughs> flesh colored? That is. And full, of, dick. and full of chiclets. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's full of uh, little, little, full of little Mexican gum candies. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, the boner the boner rainbow pinata mm-hmm. uh, t shirt and hoodie are also you know something that we're working on. That's yes. gonna be good. So Scales Nation, give us your money. Yeah. It's the only reason we do this is to I, try and get your money. We're moving into phase two. Get your money. Oh Everything up till this has been prologue. And and again, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, uh-huh. I, I, hate to, I hate to do this yet again, but we did this last week. Still not available for purchase, <laughs> by the way. Sorry Super, about that. Just pump, pimping it out. Not available for purchase. Uh, Step but one, it will be steal underpants. It will be Step available three, very profit. soon. Uh, 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 very, very soon. Hopefully, maybe not when this podcast is coming out. And if it if it is available when mm-hmm. this podcast is coming out, I will have recorded an addendum before 
this mm-hmm. episode so that <clears throat> this part of the podcast is now worthless to listen to. Yeah. But if it isn't out right now and available, it will be mm-hmm. within a week or two. Really, I, I mean, I have confidence that we could really we could just admit to all kinds of things we never wanted yeah. people to find out right now because this section of the podcast is going to go. I once I'm killed not, a man. I'm not cutting it out. Yes. I'm just saying it's going to be I worthless. Once, to oh, well, then forget to. what I just said about having once killed a man. I think we should make the addendum just as confusing as this part of the part of the show. Are they available? Yes. I don't know. Don't Where are you going to get them? There's no way to find out. <laughs> I think that we should Tough. just. I think that we should just make random left turns in our subject matter and not address it, so that people think that we've edited content yeah. out of the podcast. So Avatar two. Yeah, I know Avatar two. You guys just finished production actually yeah. for all the the two, three, and four. Yes, four more avatars. Yeah. So many avatars. And now now the the long pre production begins. Yeah. Po- that'd be post production. Post production. Yeah, post production. Now the long pre production. <laughs> now that they finished production, it's yeah. time for the pre production yeah, to the begin. The post production process will be at least ten years, and that's just for part two. Yeah. Who knows about God. three? Aren't and four. they scheduled to come out in like twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one? I believe they are. That's not that far from now. Yeah. Especially for uh, James Cameron. You have to assume that they've been working on the post stuff. Because they've been shooting it for however long. They've yeah. That's got to be almost done. Now, speaking of James Cameron, by the way, uh, f- another trailer for Battle Angel Alita came out, or Alita Battle Angel, yeah. mm-hmm. as going to call it. I stopped watching the trailers after the first trailer freaked me out so much. Yeah, the new the new, tra- new, new trailer's pretty good. Uh, I'm curious. Freak you out. Yeah, the yeah. eyes. The eyes were really weird. It was very, like, it was, it was very Uncanny Valley yeah. meets, like, anime she just looked too much like to me she looked like an anime version of mary the actress mary elizabeth winstead <laughs> but it's not mary elizabeth winstead who plays the role so it's just like making it even it's more like, awkward yeah so it's just like yeah you want you want mary elizabeth elizabeth winstead in your movie we'll just animate her face right over the Brutal. face of some other actress so. they did that in um in a video game uh the last of us oh, right. where they they kind of made the character look a lot like ellen page yeah. even though she said she didn't want to be in it uh-huh. and uh she sued i think she successfully sued yeah. the Ouch. uh the makers of the she game really yeah. hurt yeah. your yeah. sales like her um but uh you know to to come back to some fitness talk might as well just make this make this podcast work for us here mm-hmm. uh did you guys know that there was another event announced no Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know. Yeah. yeah. Uh San Diego, California. San yeah. Diego. Uh San Diego. Hell yeah. The the Del Mar event yeah, yeah. has finally been announced. It's the West Coast Classic. Mm-hmm. Chase just flashing gang so signs. We can now talk about all the secret stuff that we couldn't talk about last time. We we can. Uh but you know even more secrets. I don't I wouldn't say I know more secrets. Here's what I would say. Uh I would say last time we were talking about how one of the things to know about SoCal was that it had both Carson and Del Mar, both of which are like mm-hmm. legendary venues for CrossFit events. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this event will be at Del Mar and it will be at the fairgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, which is where regionals were from like 2013 through 2018 or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the it's not going to be, so it's not going to be at Carson where uh-huh. the games used to be, even mm-hmm. though they were trying to, to figure yeah, that yeah. out and that's what that's what i had heard i'd heard that they were really aggressively pursuing yeah, carson yeah. as uh as a potential spot and we talked a lot about how fucking awesome that would be yeah, yeah. Uh, and it still would be awesome but yeah, yeah. the 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 same people that are behind wadapalooza yes are running west coast classic yes mm-hmm. so, and that was the piece of information that was yes we were uh yeah. very excited about <coughs> that's that what we were public. pumped about and yeah, yeah. live and loud and that's right is it live and loud or loud and live 
I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't matter. It's one you of the put, two. Put those combinations of words in, and you'll get something. All I know is that fancy and staple. That's right. Staple I, and fancy. It's it's uh, it's Matt O'Keefe and Dylan Malitsky. Mm-hmm. It's I know I know it's the team. It's the same team behind Wadapalooza, which is running uh, West Coast Classic, and the West Coast Classic is probably going to be elites only, a la the rogue invitational although i don't think it's going to be an invitational mm-hmm. but it's going to have the same festival atmosphere as wadapalooza has had over the past few years Wait, okay yeah yeah interesting so think of it as like kind of a step between regionals and the games the same mm-hmm. way i would imagine the rogue invitational is going to feel mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be taking place at the fairgrounds which is a fucking incredible venue mm-hmm. uh and i've been to that i've been to that venue um, for regionals, a bunch, and I've been to a few of the other regional venues, and I've got to say, it's probably up there with like the tennis stadium at Carson mm-hmm. in terms of how good of a venue it is for CrossFit competitions. Yeah, yeah. Damn, hmm. the energy, the vibe, the the intimacy, the surrounding area is just so fucking perfect. It's got because um, it's it's this big horse enclosure, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's uh, it's concrete floors. Ooh, that's um, probably bad for the horse's feet. It's pro- <laughs> probably bad for the horse's feet. Uh, it's concrete. It's floors. actually used to control for pigs, but it's in the shape of a horse. It's like that's the right. outline of a horse. Oh, well, I misunderstood. When yeah. I say horse enclosure, what I mean is it's a glue factory. Yes. For all the race horses. Yes. Got to use that concrete soft. What I meant those. by horse enclosure yeah. is that it's a pit full of glue with a lot of horses stuck in there. <laughs> well, that's and not so as bad. There, they were enclosed. At least they're like, alive. Kind of like that amber mosquito in yeah. Jurassic Park. That's it's actually like that. why uh, Ronnie Teasdale wasn't able to do more snatches. That the last he was stuck qualified. in glue. He was stuck in glue, and he had to fight a horse to get out of mm-hmm. there. It was crazy. So nobody else. The venue, the venue is uh, is fucking awesome. Uh, it's got the the way they they had done it for regionals. I'm assuming they're going to do something similar, but probably you know just better. Well, I'm gonna. I'm assuming they're gonna do something similar, but way fucking better yeah, yeah. than they did at regionals. Safe Co- assumption. <laughs> Copy and paste this year's regionals, <laughs> and it's gonna be triple three. Uh, the the intimacy of the venue when you put in the bleachers yeah, is yeah. really fucking cool. Uh-huh. So you stack in thousands of people in that space, but it's still open air uh-huh. because uh, the sides are are open. Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not an enclosed building. It has a roof, but the roof is like is uh, like clear plastic. So it's got great fucking lighting. Yeah. It's got a great atmosphere. It gets super loud in there. It's easy to see the action from anywhere in the venue. Mm-hmm. And if you have just elite athletes coming in to compete, mm-hmm. it's going to be out of fucking control. Plus, it has a great space um, for uh, like parking as mm-hmm. well as great space for like that festival vibe. So it's great, man. It's going to be really fucking cool. It's going to be really cool. It's nice. going to be a cool venue. I have a question, and I don't think there's an answer to this question yet, and I maybe it'll derail this conversation about Del Mar, which we should get back to, Do but it. it occurred to me, just remembering seeing the California regionals last year, and certain individuals, they don't have to be named, uh, who uh, placed in the California regional were popped for uh, substances, uh, correct? Isn't that... Uh, uh, yeah, anyway. Yes. doesn't matter. Uh, point being, the people who have been popped and banned by CrossFit uh, obviously can't compete at the CrossFit Games, but will they also be prohibited from 
participating in CrossFit sanctioned events that are run by other people. In other words, could we see uh, uh, a, a Ricky, whatever his fucking name is, uh, could we see uh, an Abbott the Red showing up at a sanctional event, even if they are incapable of qualifying for spots at the games? I wonder. That's a great question. The answer to your question is they cannot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bum, bum, they bum. can't compete. Assuming that they can test clean at the thing. Right. They, the, so the, yeah, yeah. the CrossFit, one of the relationships which by the way Fakowski uh and I had the same thing which is sanctioned events good thing mm-hmm. sanctioned athletes bad thing mm-hmm. sanctioned event champion sanctioned weird and bad sentence mm-hmm. right anyway so we need more words that just yeah. gave me a seizure i don't know what's yeah. going on all, all i'm trying to say is we need more horse words. enclosure right Sorry. uh the the, <laughs> the sanctioned, sanctioned athletes are horse enclosures. <laughs> the sanctioned Can events. horses qualify for the CrossFit Games? What about centaurs? What about uh, uh, what about Minotaurs? already qualified yes. for the games <laughs> multiple times. Bingo. Boom. Uh, so the the drug enforcement drug enforcement agency? No. The drug <laughs> testing policy. The DFA. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the drug testing policy that all the athletes agree to. Uh-huh. Uh, in participating in the open that is the same thing that they're getting popped on um, when they get caught at regionals or the games or whatever um, that policy is part of the the contract between the events and CrossFit mm. so part of the sanctioning is that the events are going to to involve mm-hmm. themselves in and participate and follow the rules yeah, yeah. of the CrossFit drug policy which and also kick out the people who are banned and also uh, follow the existing sanctions which means anyone who has been sanctioned and their sanction is still alive and well those those still are active uh so ricky garrard for example sanctioned he Mm -hmm. can't compete at any of the any of the events the official Mm -hmm. crossroad events all he has is grid left all (laughs) although he did recently compete you see that he competed Mm. at some like uh some little uh competition i don't know how little it was but he and his brother competed at a a competition in australia and surprise ricky won (laughs) because he's (coughs) still fucking up to the tits yeah Yeah. no reason no reason not and apparently Mm. are they using i think they're using uh the hashtag rise of the phoenix maybe (laughs) it's way too soon but Uh. doesn't he have like a couple years left on his sanction before he's free three years right Three he's more gonna, games. He's going to be like 26, 24 by mm-hmm. the time that the the sanctions are up. So he's going to be the prime of his fucking career, <laughs> having not yeah. ruined his adrenals by training for the games six years in a row. Exactly. Holy he has, shit. Yeah, he could be on, forget SARMs, you can be on injectable gear for the course of the uh, next couple of years. You can and get he several long be. cycles in, and should be, yeah. yeah. Either way, I'm, I'm, I, it's really interesting to me. Uh, to answer your question, the short answer is, they cannot compete yeah, yeah. or win. Uh, but it's really interesting to see the the different reactions that these athletes have mm-hmm. to the various things that are happening to them with like CrossFit sanctions, right? Because Ricky Garrard got popped after getting taking third at the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, I'm going to keep my medal. You can have the money back but I'm going to keep training and I'll be back in four years or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can all suck my dick, right? Mm-hmm. I suck, suck my dick, dick, mate. I'm going to fucking come back and I'm going to fucking kill all of you. <laughs> uh, so That's actually what he said. Yeah. <sighs> Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. So uh, Ricky is like, I'm still going to train. In fact, you can buy my programming. Right? <laughs> mm. uh, Emily you can Abbott. Buy it. It's in this bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Abbott was like, uh-huh. 
I'm going to Israel and yeah. I'm retiring from CrossFit. Yep. I, really? I'm, my my feelings mm-hmm. are hurt. Yeah. yeah. So she just recently, I think I, I don't know if she's still overseas, but she is. Uh, she basically was like talking about how you know doing like a retrospective on her time as a CrossFit yeah, athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, she did this post about how she really loved how CrossFit made her feel and how the competitive side of her was really like you know embraced what CrossFit had to bring to the table and all this sort of stuff and made it sound like she's done. She's like completely yeah. out, which I don't know. I guess that makes sense. But Ricky's reaction makes sense too. Like yeah. how do you, what's the right reaction? To well, that? nothing matters. That should be the biggest thing you take away. Obviously this competition. This thing doesn't matter. <laughs> How's yeah. <laughs> scale is needed. Nothing matters. Yep. Are you tired? That's also a full sentence. That's perfect. <laughs> because you've done enough. Yeah. 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 You're right. Nothing does matter. Chase. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, I'm surprised because so I, I will be getting a chance to talk to Sean and Kelly, mm-hmm. Sean Ramirez, Kelly Holm. Um, hopefully, over the next week or so, we'll have oh, those really? interviews out. Yeah. And I'm curious what their moves are going to be because mm-hmm. as Masters athletes, you know, they don't have to necessarily worry about the like crushing wave of the next generation of mm-hmm. like, you know, high end CrossFit athletes coming in. They could yeah. still be competitive in their divisions. Yeah, they've been dealing with that forever. So I wonder <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the move is and whether whether being in a master's division or something like that makes a difference in, in how you plan that out. Mm. You know? It's it's just so weird. It's such a weird it's such a weird fucking thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, hopefully pretty soon, once uh, all of these things get buttoned up in terms of drug testing and, and, and the like, uh, we will uh, we'll see less of it. Yeah, maybe. That's the intention. Either I mean, way. That's what they or want. more of it. I and think we'll just be cooler with it. I think now's a good time to, you know, let everybody know that the Fitbeth games are 100% yes. not tested. Yes. Correct. It's mm-hmm. encouraged. You can. And the flyers that we send out. You can, you can, you can dope with as many um, exogenous Beths. Whatever you want. <laughs> as you can. So if you need to siphon blood from other Beths and yeah. pump it into your own body. I don't. Not only can you, we'll be handing that shit out. It is Beth, encouraged. It's called Beth doping. Files of yeah. Beth blood. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Don't and ask us drink. where we got it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have and a baby factory in China, and we're just naming them Beth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's really like dark. we got we got we got legal Beth birth certificates yeah. on all of these babies. We're also we're also making a uh, a Fit Beth themed metal band called Beth from Above. Beth from Above, <laughs> which is going to be great. That's pretty yes, metal. That would, yeah. yeah. Brother, the the thing with the baby factory in China, you got to keep in mind. You know, uh, the uh, little girl babies in China, the the fate is either be named so Beth dark. by us. Or just end up in a dumpster because that's where most of them end up. We throw away is, girl babies there. This is, we this are, this we is are saving real. lives for that's the right. sake of the Fit Beth games. Right. <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day. I'm just saying. We've explained that phase one was podcast. Phase two, selling you guys T-shirts. Phase three, an army of Chinese female Beths. And we're just riding on top of elephants at the head of this fucking onslaught, taking over state by state like the goddamn Scorpion King. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just saying, that's phase three. And it's we're going to use the profits from these shirts to subsidize our army of Chinese child Beths. Our Beths will blot out the sun. <laughs> Beths will blot out the sun. Uh, I am... <laughs> I am I am become Beth destroyer <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs>
That's good. Uh, I am become fuck. Beth. I am. See, that's that Fitz, should be our fit destroyer of worlds. Yes. No, our goal now needs to be to make that a shirt and get get Branham to uh, uh, get Shadburn. <laughs> Maybe if yeah, we call I know. her the right name, uh, get, get Shadburn to to wear a shirt that says "I am become Beth, <laughs> destroyer of worlds." That's <laughs> fucking awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I can wholeheartedly support every step of that plan. But yeah, from I don't now see on, anything wrong with it. But that, by the way, that also that we can circumvent this whole ridiculous Shadburn nonsense by just calling her Destroyer of Worlds from now on instead mm-hmm. of uh, instead Destroyer. Of, of speaking worlds. of which, Destroyer of Worlds has been looking really fucking fit recently, and I yeah. feel like I just wa- was watching her squat on Instagram. Really, she was like jacked as shit. Was she squatting? I forgot what she was doing. She was looked jacked as shit. Her, whatever is going on in terms of this season change, I think has been really good for her yeah. because one of of the things that she's always struggled with mm-hmm. is getting strong enough in the short off mm-hmm. season that they were getting and mm-hmm. now i think that she can pick and choose where she's competing she's probably able to like fix all those little inefficiencies and uh um, you know imbalances because she's doing a lot of really cool accessory work her accessory yeah. work is fucking awesome it's and very thorough a lot of painful. that is co- yeah a lot of that's coming from she's working with a bunch of different people like doctors um pt people not mm-hmm. that she's currently injured or anything but like she's in like prehab type stuff um and joe joe's really good at giving her like great core work that's that's kind Mm -hmm. of out of the box like one of the things i saw her doing was this rotational core exercise where it was she was standing between two tall Mm -hmm. boxes and just Mm -hmm. moving 55 pound plates back and forth between them i tried i tried this one that i saw her do and she was uh like on the ground with the mm-hmm. one hand planted and the other uh, one had a kettlebell like in the uh, front rack position. Yeah, yeah. And then she was just turning and opening up her chest. Yeah. And I tried the same thing. And, and you wobbled uh, around a bunch. Yeah, it felt it like, like a, a newborn really, horse trying to it walk. It was like a really ag- aggressive <laughs> click in my hips. And uh, <laughs> then I couldn't get past parallel for a good hour. My my <laughs> my great aspiration when looking at, at Beth Shadburn's Instagram is to just one day have the amount of patience and maturity required to do any uh warm-up work or mobility work like she does before a workout like i see her do something like she'll like be in a plank position and just reaching and grabbing the dumbbell and passing it under her hands and i mm-hmm. think like i'm gonna do that next time i have a shoulder workout because that looks like it's that's gonna that's gonna work that's gonna get that's gonna get the blood flowing in my shoulders i'm gonna and, snatch 380 and then i show up immediately and i'm like i am already bored being here so i'm gonna go immediately for max weight <laughs> uh, just right away with no warm-up you're not the only one i yes. feel like that's probably a prevalent attitude and everyone at this table explosion. i i don't think i don't think people quite understand uh what lengths bethany shadburn goes to to mm-hmm. warm up now chase and i have hung out with her twice we've trained with her twice yes. neither time have we ever been able to actually hang with her during mm-hmm. her sessions because they're so fucking crazy yeah, yeah. but both times she has spent at least an hour right at least an hour, about an hour warming up mm-hmm. and that starts with like wild global warm-ups she's like okay we're just gonna do like a quick tabata on the salt bike and yeah, then she'll do fine. like a tabata it's like that's okay and then it goes into like we're going to do, uh, you're going to take a two and a half pound dumbbell and you're going to balance it on your index finger and you're going to lay down in a dead bug position and you're going to breathe through your diaphragm in like, you know, this tempo. And it's like, wait, what? And mm-hmm. then you try it and you're, you're like 
feet start cramping. Your like <laughs> nose turns ice cold. Like I don't like your body start just bleeding bleed, from the eyes. Just start bleeding. Yeah. As it turns out, she doesn't actually do any of these things on a regular <laughs> basis. She was just fucking with you guys on the days you showed up. It fucking felt like it because she yeah. would ask. She's like, no, no, just give it a shot. And she, we would try it. I couldn't do. I couldn't do half. She did this thing where she laid down and she call, she was like, this looks a lot easier than it is, and I can't still do it right. But she would basically sit down. Mm-hmm. Lay back and then lay like sit back up with her hands over her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but her torso wouldn't move at all. Uh, yeah, there was no like rib cage right? coming up. They were like reverse L sits. She was basically doing this thing where like imagine a sit up, uh-huh. but you know how we all sit up by like curling over yeah. to sit up and make it way easier on us. Mm-hmm. She was sitting up, keeping good posture the entire time. Gross. I was like, like how uh, are you? Like Nosferatu like there. Nosferatu. Yeah, like, I was like, She's how like, are you physically Goddamn vampire. <laughs> how are you doing this? <laughs> God damn it. How? Destroyer of worlds. I know. How much Chinese baby blood does she need <laughs> <laughs> to survive this you fucking You guys. Hem- destroyer of curls and it's just cliff's arm yeah <laughs> yes uh, all right i nice. dig it marketing now, genius now we're moving here uh again none of that is available for purchase well that's a, yes not yet not yet <laughs> no no vials of beth blood no, no yet mixed cd not from yet. beth from above <laughs> so <clears throat> when i say um when i say oh intermediate athlete <laughs> when i say intermediate athlete who do you guys think of what types of athletes are we thinking of are we thinking about like you know myself yourself I mean, clearly you guys are elite about, which would make cliff and i intermediate okay you yeah. guys are intermediate level athletes we're intermediate if you guys were athletes. signing up for something like the Wadapalooza teams it really depends like, how what kind of ruler you're, you're using you're making an intermediate division <laughs> would you pick well, you, you you guys would pick the intermediate division obviously what if mm-hmm. i told you that miranda uh, Miranda Alcarez, formerly Miranda Oldroyd, oh, yeah, hmm. signed up with Molly Volmer and I think one other person for the intermediate division for Wadapalooza. Hmm. And there's uh, no system check there. To, she just wants to whoop up on a bunch I, of unfit. Well, people. they can't. I don't think they can compete anyway. Um, but she basically signed up for um, the Wadapalooza intermediate division of the team challenge. And uh-huh. uh, someone called her out on it saying, not quite fair for games athletes to compete in the intermediate team division. I really like you and Molly, but it just goes to show that CrossFit doesn't really care to be fair with who is competing in a certain division. I get it. You guys had kids, but you're still at another level as far as competing goes. I really don't think anyone who has been to regionals or to the games in any capacity should be able to compete as intermediate or scaled. And she uh, she like screenshotted this and posted it up. And, uh-huh. and her response was... Myself, Molly, and Lift Like a Mother. I don't know who that is. Alicia M. Myself, Molly, and Lift Like a Mother signed up for the intermediate division for the Wadapalooza team challenge for several reasons. The main one being that Molly's baby is just 16 weeks old. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, I haven't competed in almost four years. I don't train to compete. I hit a 30-minute garage gym session five to six days a week now. My child is 15 months old. I'm 36. Alicia has a 14-month-old. And Mm -hmm. they're ineligible to take a spot because she helped with the programming. Now the question at hand: mm-hmm. Do they count as intermediate athletes? 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. She has certainly listed a whole bunch of reasons for that. Yeah, another thing is uh, the fact that she competed at the games at some point in the past. I mean, yeah. she obviously is a super, super fit person. But my guess is, and this is no shade being thrown at Miranda Oldroyd, but Miranda Oldroyd is probably approaching on her way down, but is approaching the level of fitness of like the really fit guy in a couple boxes in your city, the really fit guy or gal who you might find, at, you know, who's trained up to that level. She's coming back down from that level from a higher level uh, earlier on but she's uh, she, yeah i think that that is perfectly appropriate i'm 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 team miranda hashtag street parking yeah that guy just doesn't have the perspective that's her programming it's called street parking oh cliff looked at me when cliff, I, said, cliff, cliff, yeah. I said hashtag street parking and uh, yeah she does like minimal equipment programming i think yeah that guy's that guy's perception of what's intermediate Oh yeah, and just who hasn't been asshole? rectified. He who's needs to go get wrecked yeah. in who's the scale division. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, uh, you know, I I love Miranda. I love Julian. Uh, they're all super cool people. Yeah, she is incredibly fit. Um, what whatever whether or not she fits in the intermediate division, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter because she can't. They can't qualify anyway. She helped with the programming. Um, so I feel like she should be able to compete wherever she wants. I don't know if she should count in the leaderboard in any way, but either way, mm-hmm. the genius move here was just a few days after posting that and, and posing this question. Um, she put up a video of herself doing a 228 Fran. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. <laughs> well, so, she's might, maybe not coming quite down as far as I thought that maybe she was after just right. having had a baby. Because when I think intermediate... I don't necessarily think like <laughs> sets of 15 unbroken bar muscle ups, which yeah. was yet another thing she posted a couple days after that. By the way, guys, can we all just like just take a moment to marinate in how good and nostalgic it feels to hear about any athlete like going for like a good friend time? Yeah. You just don't see it anymore. Thank like, God. can you think about it? No, but no, but what look, a torturous <clears throat> workout. It is a torturous workout, but yes, but like. It used to be like knowing the Fran people's Fran times and stuff like that meant something. And now, like, does anyone ever seen Matt Fraser do Fran before? I'm sure he would crush it. I'm sure he'd do a great job. But I want to see Submit that video. It. Yeah, <laughs> I think at this point, everyone has maxed out their fitness to the extent at the elite level mm-hmm. that it's essentially all the same, and it's just about limb lengths. Well, it's like if you're slightly <laughs> shorter, you'll have a slightly faster time. If you're slightly taller, you'll have a slightly longer time yeah, yeah. without any real increase in capacity. But you could, I think they're but, all at that yeah, maxed out. Maybe, capacity. but maybe, but you could still potentially have like a like a Telena Fortunato moment for like men's Fran times because like there was the one sub two minute or a couple sub two minute, a couple fran, a couple sub two minute Fran times. But you know there was like ever remember like all women were kind of there stabilized around the three minute mark and then it was Talena, right, who came in and uh smashed cr- it. Yeah, yeah, smashed it like to two twenty six with those crazy, uh crazy kipping, like like really ridiculous kipping pull ups and then everyone else's times came down. And that evolution, I mean we might have mechanically made it to the end, you know, because everyone was hovering well, that, around well, two fifteen. Well, that, that's my thought there. Is that mechanically you know, it's like 
if you gave them a PVC pipe and an assisted, an abandoned pull-up, could yep. they still do it any faster? Yeah, and that's sort of the thing is that <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, I'm just kind of curious about, it's more for me about seeing like those things you used to see a lot, you used to see people doing, uh, not just doing the girls, but just doing various standardized workouts to show off how fast they could get them. And now you see all of the athletes doing all of this complex... Impossible and, shit. Yeah, Impossible all this, shit. Yeah, and just all this highly varied, complex, uh, uh, um, bespoke programming, which is awesome, and I'm sure that's great for their training, but I would love to see them crush some some standardized workouts just so you could see how they would measure up against I, it. Again, yeah. again I well, agree on standardized workouts, but Fran specifically... I really don't think is applicable anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think Fran used to be back in the early days of CrossFit. The limiting factor in Fran was your fitness, was your cardiorespiratory capacity. Mm-hmm. At this point, everyone's cardiorespiratory capacity at the elite level is maxed out such that they're not going to stop or slow down for a second for any rep of mm-hmm, Fran. Yeah. They're just going to be doing every rep as fast as they can. I just want to see it. it for Christ's sake. Right. Uh, the the reason why Fran isn't used anymore is because Stupid. its dosage is not is not really that aggressive anymore. Mm. Like uh, now, pretty much any regional level athlete can hit Fran, even if they go as hard as they can mm-hmm. and walk away from it without having much trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point where, and you know, this well, then is, they didn't go fast enough. This is really <laughs> just just. <laughs> rubbing Fran's face in the dirt to the point where Jacob Heppner actually recently a couple days ago posted this video up of the following workout and Uh he did this all in under 10 minutes okay of course he did Fran 100 weighted double unders 10 pegboard descents 100 weighted double unders and then Fran again Jesus (laughs) Christ yeah love it yeah so uh just just to go and show you what it takes for someone like jake to get just to get tired. his dick hard yeah <laughs> just just to get hard he needs yeah. to add in the fact is tired is enough applies even to athletes yeah. like jacob hepner it just takes much more to get him tired yeah. hepner workouts every two minutes on the two minutes hit mm-hmm. a five mile run then a hundred double unders with a double pound weight rope and yeah. 60 thrusters mm-hmm. exactly bingo and you know i think i think what what ends up happening is we talked a little bit uh, previously about this like strange like arms race of fitness, mm-hmm. right? We we saw like a huge jump when Miko came onto the stage. We saw an even bigger jump when Rich uh, won the CrossFit Games. We are seeing yet another jump with Matt, but in a different direction, not so much in like the strength direction and more in sort of like the well-rounded mm-hmm. um, overall direction. But uh, this this like escalation of fitness Mm -hmm. is in some ways highlighting where there are flaws in the standardized workouts that Mm -hmm. we use in the girls and fran is one of them Mm -hmm. because cliff is right fran used to be bottlenecked by your fitness Mm -hmm. and now it's not bottlenecked by your fitness anymore we can get fit enough that you're like metabolically like how we say we like we're included in that circle (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Fair enough. I mean, you know, I could scale. I could find a scale for Fran that. that no, no, no. I understand. I was saying we, as a community, are no longer bottlenecked by our fitness, and by you know, and, and so long as as our representatives 
were we to pick representatives from our community, the we we are referring to, we, we would we'll put forth a Jacob Hefner or or, or a Matt right. Frazier or yes. a Tia Claire Toomey. Yes. Or Jacob something. Hefner would definitely be the scale is needed athlete. Yes. yes. Oh sure. yeah. Official. <laughs> Listen, homies. Uh, neither none of us have made the games in the past couple of years. Yes. So sure. you know, yeah. well, as far as we're talk about, as yeah. far as we're concerned, we're all the same level. So, <laughs> but the uh, rude the <laughs> now we just need to get Jacob Hepner in a shirt that says "I am Beth Destroyer." Of that's right. What that's well, that's one of the reasons why. By the way, you don't see you don't see anybody <laughs> doing things like uh, no one's doing Isabel or Grace as benchmarks anymore yeah. because we 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 found it, guys. Like yeah. we saw the case closed. Yes. Travis Williams going full. Yeah. Yeah. We figured that one out a long time ago. We, mm-hmm. you know, when we got when we had that one <laughs> vi- one minute video of Dan Bailey doing thirty unbroken clean and jerks with like the you guys the remember camera. the road? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I remember. Yeah. So like we definitely we, the coolest piece of media CrossFit ever created. We we that. found the limit, guys. We don't yeah. need to do. That's why you start seeing people do like the the gauntlet of girl mm-hmm. workouts. Like every three minutes, start another one for the next fifteen. minutes. I like minutes. that two two twenty five Grace, the two hundred twenty five pound classic Grace that yeah. uh, Froning did the first. Of yeah. there, and, mm-hmm. then, and then the two twenty five Isabel yeah. is when we first saw mm-hmm. Matt uh, Matt Fraser come onto the scene. He was like, "Do you remember that?" Jace? No, oh, I'm glad I've never seen that footage. So, uh, it's so discouraging. Rich Rich did uh, Rich did two twenty five Isabel, and he did it at uh, he did it like at his gym because he was doing he was doing these tours with. Um, what is that? What is that multi-level marketing scheme that he's a part of? Advocare. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he did it at. An <laughs> oh, ad- that's one of the fucking fireworks. Yeah. Right yeah. Up next so to him. Yeah, he I did this thing at Advocare where he did gr- he does Boom. Grace at two twenty-five. It was like a few years in a row he did Grace at two twenty-five. But like in between, he was also doing Isabel at two twenty-five, uh-huh. like in in his training or whatever. And so he put up this video, and he at the time I would argue he was probably the only person on the planet who could. I mean, there's yeah. there's a few other CrossFit Hold athletes off. who could, but. Uh, Klokov did. Klokov but, did and didn't, yeah. didn't come close. Yeah, yeah. I think Klokov uh, did in response to Fraser. Actually, yes, Klokov yeah. did. Or so, like that. Yeah, Fra- Matt Fraser saw the video of Rich doing uh, Isabel at two twenty five, and I think this was in twenty fourteen. It was before he qualified for the games uh, that year, and he posted a video of him beating Rich by like a minute and a half. At this workout. That said, Rich was doing every single rep of squat clean, whereas Frazier was not. Right. He caught most of those power cleans. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It was it was, it was was really impressive. It was a really mm-hmm. oh, impressive yeah. video. Very impressive performance. And it was like the first time uh, Matt made like a splash on the big scene of like saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take this guy on. We're gonna see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know that guy you guys all call Legend. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be a weightlifter, so check this shit out, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's the thing. Like these these unidirectional benchmark workouts, like the Frans, the Isabels, the Graces, are the ones that you're not seeing anymore. Mm-hmm. But Helen, Helen, I think is gonna always be in line for a benchmark workout. Hell Jackie yeah. is always gonna be in line, and the reason why that's is cool. because it has. <laughs> <laughs> it has the monostructural element to yeah. it. It has a run. It has a row. And those are places where you can actually find like the limit of human performance. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're going to row a one, uh, three, uh, one K as fast as you fucking can. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, are, are you, and you're going to try and survive. That's a trap. And yeah. you're going to try and survive for 50 thrusters and 30 yeah. pull-ups afterwards. And I think that is the type of thing where you start seeing these, like the actual, sort of like equivalents of mm-hmm. like you know uh the mile like the equivalent of the mile of uh yeah. 
uh, of CrossFit. Yeah, because you can keep pushing those monostructural things down. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's why uh, Assault on Fran. That's the ultimate workout. Is that the one that includes the salt bike calories mm-hmm. in there? Mm-hmm. Nah, it's not, dude. dude. Make Add in burpees, too. <laughs> there you go. Now we're talking. So now short people can compete against tall people. How's that feel? Or Unless it's to a target. Or, right. fi- or, or 21 of each eat a hamburger. 15 of each eat a hamburger. 9 uh, of each eat a hamburger. Have you seen the Fran and Out video? You've seen the Fran and Out video. Fran and Out? No. Who talked Did, about it at some have, point? It's there, probably, yeah. I, I'm probably yeah. remembering you telling that me is, That is Fran and Out. It's, yeah. uh, it's the set of 21s. Plus uh, a three by three. But you know that in Austin, is it still exist? Oh, it might have closed down, but we had a Franz Hamburgers yeah, in Austin. It still exists. No, still, it still exists. Yeah. So we yeah. talked for years about going to Franz Hamburgers and, and doing like a Fran video at Franz Fran Hamburgers. Why doesn't never, that video content exist? Why aren't we making it right now? You know what's... Uh, th- we're going to go hyper-specific here. You guys probably know this. Mm-hmm. There's not just Franz, but there's also Dan's. Did you know? Oh, I'm, I'm very aware of Dan's hamburgers. That Dan I'm very and, aware of most hamburgers. Did you know that Dan and Fran are uh, ex-husband and wife? Oh, really? Ooh, I didn't know there was a relationship. Yes, yeah. there was a relationship there. So I haven't had either burger, so I don't know which I've one's had better. Dan's. Oh, it's yeah. pretty good. And yeah. I've had Fran's. It's also pretty good. Okay, well, um, they're good. Uh, there's so much that Dan's drama. a little more successful. Yeah, he, he has mail? multiple locations around town, whereas there's only the one Fran's. But it's a primo spot. The one in France, it's on Soco. Yeah, so it is. It's a good, hmm. it's a good spot. Um, so much drama behind uh, Austin food things. There's Dan and Franz. There's the whole Franklin barbecue, Mueller, barbecue Miller thing. barbecue, La barbecue. It's all incestuous, and I don't understand how any of it works. We don't need to get into it. No, now, none of it's important. Yes, but nothing more uh, interesting to hear. Us talk but about. the important thing is, can we get Jacob Hepner here and uh, and 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 destroy love shirt and destroyer of worlds, uh, Bethany Shadburn, and get them to do a Fran at Fran's hamburgers? Yeah, uh, can we make that? I happen? think that's uh, that's really the way you have to use it. By the way, mm-hmm. you have to say. Destroyer of Worlds, comma, Bethany Shadburn. Yeah. Right? It's just, now it's the whole thing. See, but here's no, an interesting... No, no, it needs to go, Bethany, Beth becomes <laughs> comes before Destroyer of Worlds in order to make the quote, uh, you know, feel like... The well, no, no, no. Thing. If you're doing the I have, I am become de- Beth version, yes. right? But if you're just saying, referring to her the way that, you know, you refer to like any other athlete with their nickname, you, you have to use the full phrase. You have to say, as opposed to saying Bethany... Destroyer of Worlds, Shadburn, mm-hmm. or yeah. Bethany Shadburn, Destroyer of Worlds. Mm-hmm. You refer to her as Destroyer of Worlds, Bethany Shadburn. Mm-hmm. Really dunked on that Fran. Yeah, Ooh. at the games. So here's my thing: if I, and I never this has not occurred to me before, but as an actual as a as a potential future video challenge, you take someone who's really fit, you know, like let's say a Bethany Shadburn, let's but say. she is also a teeny tiny lady. So potentially her capacity for being able to crush burgers, because she probably just runs on like water vapor and pineapple slices or something like that in her day-to-day life. But her ability to crush burgers may be not as good as a much less fit but slightly larger man, Yeah. say somebody at this table. Um, so what I'm saying is could that be an interesting way to stack uh, is that we have, we have Chase... <laughs> 
Dufran and crush burgers versus Shadburn mm. also doing Fran and crushing burgers, and we see who wins. Place your bets. Uh, she's probably eating so healthy. I think she's just gonna have an allergic reaction to burgers. She's frankly. not gonna know how to crush burgers mm-hmm. exactly the right it's way. It's gonna end in vomit. Yeah. For yeah. Oh yeah, and it's yes. gonna end in Chase losing. Yeah, for yes. fuck sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's no amount. I don't know if there's but an she amount would of have food. To, she'd have to really crush if, those burgers. But what if we also uh, made her do the same weight as me? Yeah, that, I mean that. That would then. just make it more embarrassing for you. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> that's just so you're going to really remove that that safety net for your ego, right there. Of, <laughs> well, she was using. I think I can do it. Yeah, if, if you guys do that and you lose, you have to get an "I am become Beth bitch" tattoo on no, your chest. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. All right, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, you heard it here, Scaleless Nation. You need you to tweet uh, and Instagram at Bethany Shadburn uh, and make this Franz Hamburgers challenge happen. Yeah. Scaleless Nation. I am become Beth challenge. I am become Preferably Beth. wait till after Dubai and Wadapalooza. <laughs> so she's, she's, so she's tired. Yeah, she's yeah. tired. <laughs> yeah. So now that Kyle is finally here. Yes. We can... We can talk about Unforgiven, guys. Goddamn right. We boy, sure can. Has made Clint Eastwood noises into well, the mic. I'm curious that we, given the delay of a week or two more, was Chase, Chase were you able to finally get is, through all of Unforgiven? What is Unforgiven? Unforgiven. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, Unforgiven, you guys. But but so as we prior to last week's podcast, or I should say two weeks ago's podcast, because I was not here. Chase, you were still playing catch up. But have mm-hmm. you seen Have you seen the film? Yes, excellent. Okay. And I saw the finale with excellent. you guys. We I watched it. Yeah, we watched it Again. right before yeah, yeah, yeah. right before the podcast. Um, uh, two weeks ago, and I think since then, Chase, have you watched it again? Yes. Oh, excellent. Oh, okay, excellent. good. So good. what good. what are your thoughts? Because your thoughts are the one that I'm actually curious about right now to kick this off. My, yeah. My thoughts have uh, have not have not really changed a whole <laughs> lot a whole lot from uh, my initial thoughts in mm-hmm. this movie is uh, I I was expecting uh, Gran Torino I don't know why I was expecting <laughs> Gran Torino <laughs> hmm. but uh-huh. what I got instead was uh, I, I guess I understand why uh, Clint Eastwood is known as such a good actor yeah and then I got a super badass like closing scene but it felt like the entire movie was subpar for me mm. up until that point. Interesting, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, it's it's <laughs> a strange movie. <laughs> like simultaneously well, interesting. 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 I can, interesting. You're I wrong, can, but you're interesting. No, no, and the reason I say, the reason I can, I can perhaps, I can perhaps understand, I can perhaps understand where Chase is coming from. Maybe this will resonate with you. Is I remember when I was a kid, like I saw Unforgiven you know, when it first came out and watched it a shit ton on VHS when I was a kid and was always on TV. And I remember that when I was a kid, I thought of Unforgiven as, oh, it's the badass Western movie where Clint Eastwood plays a badass uh, who kicks people's asses and shoots people at the end. And he's all like, and then he fucking kills people. Uh, (laughs) And then, and so that was sort of my take. And then I, and I liked the buddy, buddy interaction between him and and Morgan Freeman and that sort of thing. And I was like, cool. It's just a really solid Western. And and then there's some other stuff, you know, with talking and people saying words prior to that. that. Yeah. A lot of that. But uh, it's but it's one of those films. It's been a common theme uh, with the films we've selected thus far to talk about on the show. That it's a film that, as I have returned to it and gotten older, I the 
layers and layers and layers of depth within the film have eventually have like slowly revealed themselves all right up until I guess it was a, two weeks ago at this point when I revisited it yet again uh, and just found so much in that goddamn movie it's just so uh, tightly thematically integrated how all the characters are brought together anyway I, I won't go off on the whole thing but it's just like I I now understand um, I now I, I, I just continue to appreciate it more and more as time goes on is what I'm so what you're saying say. is I need to watch it I think that you will potentially times. discover more depth well that's what we're that's what we're here we're here to talk about here the for. movie we're here it, to I mean it definitely it. feels yeah, yeah. dense yeah, because yeah. that that first I guess it'd be 45 minutes yeah. of the movie feels like two hours of movie oh really oh, it feels like it drags a little bit okay interesting see um, my my thing well i guess and i don't know and i don't know if if i if i necessarily un- could can see how it drags because for me it's it's punctuated by enough enough compelling stuff that it keeps it going but what i am what i really appreciate about kind of that f- the as we begin to introduce all of the big characters in the film is how they all relate back to one central idea, which is kind of this idea of one uh, of being a legend or stories being told about you and cultivating stories told about you and the relationship that the actual man behind the legend has to that legend, which is something that's been touched on a lot in Westerns, um, uh, you know, over the course of the 20th century, most famously with John Ford's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which dealt with similar themes. And this is kind of an interesting take on that same idea because every character, as they're introduced, you have... Um, you know, obviously you have the Schofield kid who is interested in building a legend for himself. He wants, he's already created <laughs> a, yes, exactly. <laughs> he's, a, he's already, cre- he, ar- he already, uh, he has, um, he has a cool name. Yes. He has, he has his, his name picked out. He hasn't actually done any of the things yet, but he's creating this legend for himself. Then you have, uh, English Bob who, uh, in- an English Bob along with, he has a literal legend writer with him. He is a writer in the, in the character of W.W. Duchamp who's with him writing his story. And then, of course, we find out once we encounter yet another one of these legendary figures, Little Bill, we realize that uh, all of the uh, legends that have been told or have been narrated to W.W. Duchamp by uh, English Bob are, in fact, total horseshit, and that all of these stories about honor and retribution and and uh, and 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 uh, and uh, duels to the death were really just about a bunch of drunk cowboys who were murdering each other. And but is then, there anything wrong with that? Well, no, but it's, it's not an issue of wrong. No. There's nothing well, wrong with it. But and then right wrong just thing, to right. kind of and just to kind of eventually round it out, and then finally at the core of the film, you have the character of William Money, and William Money is someone who is the only person in the film who actually who is a running away from his legend as fast as he can and trying to separate himself from that legend as fast as he can and he is simultaneous because the legend surrounding him is essentially that he is the he is the devil like and that's He's every Beth uh, from above yes he is Beth from above exactly is that he is the devil he is the devil incarnate and now we see him all these years later and he's trying to run from that legend and continuing deny that legend when Schofield Kid is like you don't look like no meaner than hell cold-blooded killer he's like well I guess that must mean I'm not then guess that's <laughs> not me you know whatever you say is probably correct and he is the one but he is the one person who actually is the legendary figure that he is purported to be and it is the entire film is about all these other guys 
chasing their legends and coming up short, whereas he is someone who's running away from it, but it eventually, through a series of bad decisions on his part, catches back up with him. And then in the end, the final sequence is about when he finally grabs that bottle of whiskey and takes a sip, is he puts the clothing back on and becomes the devil in the last part of the film. Yeah. You can't escape who you are. I, no. I felt like, I also feel like the first half of the movie is a little slow, yeah. but I don't feel like it drags. I feel like it's really methodical mm. because it, it really does um, build this, this like, you know, cause okay. So we, I feel like when I want to watch, when I think of a Western, I think of like, you know, good guy versus bad guy. I think of very, very simple black and white. uh, You know, the hero wants to be a hero, but William Money doesn't want to be the hero. Mm -hmm. He's like literally just running around in pig shit. Mm -hmm. When you first meet him, he's the opposite of a hero when you first meet him. And he's like cornered into doing this thing. And I feel like as the first half of the movie sort of progresses, you start meeting the those four main male characters, right? You you meet mm-hmm. uh, the Schofield kid, you meet English Bob, you meet Little Bill, Can't you meet Willie, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you start meeting them, and you start mm-hmm. realizing that this idea of you know your mythology is not only central to each of their like characters, but it's also the thing that separates them all because Clint Eastwood's uh, Willie Money is the only one who understands the cost of building that mythology mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and and understands what it did to him as a person. Mm-hmm. That's why he's so like dismissive of the Schofield kid at first. He's like, how many people have you killed? Like what like yeah, he, yeah. he's like, what is this bullshit? Like yeah, obviously yeah. what is this bullshit? <laughs> right? And I think it you start seeing like there's like there's a really interesting gradient they build between mm-hmm. going from, you know, this kid who clearly has never done. He's like, you know, like, I didn't, I didn't actually kill that Mexican. It's like, yeah, no shit. You didn't actually kill that Mexican. Yeah, right. Yeah. To, right. To like English Bob who like obviously has the skills and has like the class and has the mythology, but doesn't have the story to actually back it up mm-hmm. to little bill who thinks he, he knows who he is and mm-hmm. buys into his own fucking story Mm-hmm. To the point where he like controls this town as if it's like his own lordship. Mm-hmm. But the only person Can't that make it till you make it. Right. <laughs> That's right. The only and then even he is sort of like trumped when he when he meets like the true devil, yeah, right? Yeah. That is William mm-hmm. Money, the true mythology of that man. Yeah. Yeah. And well Bill is capable. He's he he has that capacity, but the capa- but but rather than being a the reason where he doesn't line up with his legend is he wants to, he is the legend he's per- wants to portray is one of a slightly of the sheriff of the lawman of the more heroic uh, uh, um, color the good guy the good guy and he is not that he's he doesn't live up to his legend Piece he is shit. a sociopath give him the yeah. gun yeah. yeah well what I I mean I the, watching it this most recent time and I watched it for the first time in many years I see the movie roughly divided into thirds because the overall arc of the movie which i really really like is the entire movie is a systematic demythologizing then remythologizing of the old west we're very familiar especially when the script was written in the 80s a bit before it was done there wasn't a lot of western deconstruction being Mm -hmm. done and the first third of it roughly is fairly conventional in its setup of a Western. It sets up, you know, an injustice is done, retribution is sought, 
you have people of whom legends are spoken and we see them all get in motion all that all that gets in motion uh despite william money being in pig shit at the beginning we think there might be something there uh you know we see english bob being very capable and very noble seeming I and mean, this guy is writing stuff about him we see and, you know, it's, it's, and not to interrupt but to, as as a thing as that first part is being told the film is telling you how to view it at the same time by subtly giving you these uh, these great little bits of watching legends and stories begin to dislocate from the reality around them. So you see when the Schofield kid relates the story to William Money, it's... Uh, it's it, it, yeah, it says, well, there was this whore who got cut up. It cut her face, cut her fingers off, cut her tits. And he's like, and which we, we, we know didn't happen. And we're like, that's weird that, that all that extra information's in there. Then 10 minutes later, you see William Money recall the same story because he's now trying to get Morgan Freeman to come with him. And so then he's like, yeah, cut, it, cut her fingers off, cut her tits, cut her eyes out. And he's, he's adding his own <laughs> oh, yeah, bit. Yeah. He's, adding his, he's added his own little bit. And you were just seeing, we're just seeing just for those two little variations, mm-hmm. we're seeing the story of of the whore's gold Mm -hmm. we see the reality of it a girl gets her face cut uh by a crazy drunk guy uh and then we see it's already it's already changed so Mm -hmm. far by the time it gets to william money and then he adds his part and changes it even and that is a good way yeah to interpret things going forward because again we see an actual injustice committed an actual retribution sought cool but we already see it as soon as it's told and it's the only thing we have direct knowledge of in the Mm -hmm. beginning of it already being mythologized outside of reality that's the first third Mm -hmm. the middle third is basically systematically completely undercutting all of the myths and all the rules that you thought were on kind of firm footing Mm -hmm. it's like English Bob is just drunk and piece of shit. William and <laughs> add a little, uh, a note, little bit. Another of, subtle note about English Bob is one of those things that I didn't pick up on until recently. There's just <laughs> one little moment where, like English Bob, when he's introduced, he's you know talk. He's uh, using this kind of recessed pronunciation. He's sounding oh, yeah. very, very articulate, and he, for the most part, doesn't break that in the movie until he runs into Little Bill. And it's very subtle. It happens very quickly, but it's a but it's it. But the moment he sees Little Bill, he says. Uh, little Bill calls him out and he turns and he looks at him and he says and he goes Bill I thought you was I thought you were and then he, he he says I thought you was stops himself and says I thought you were and he changes he goes from like this cockney uh, you know uh, bad grammar and then quickly corrects back and then it's not until he's being literally carted out of town beat to shit near the end of the movie he's like fuck all you people ah! and we see that like even his voice that he's using for W.W. Duchamp is an affectation it's him trying to be this English Bob that he really isn't you know yeah and uh, yeah there in that middle half yeah one you have the systematic demythology with you know English Bob being torn down any veneer of plausibility to anything the Schofield kid was saying is completely torn down uh, all that and we also but we also with have the, the, the n- main scene being the li- the, the jailhouse yeah scene the jailhouse scene with little bill where we're given and W.W. Duchamp which again makes all that very clear in the text but then we're given the nuggets with little bills thing there of a you know all of the silly myths of the old west have at this point been dispelled in our minds but it begins to remythologize it on a different slightly different foundation mm-hmm. but one that's still legendary in a sense defining he essentially makes up his own rules here for this for this movie of defining you know the people who are capable of killing are the ones who can keep a cool head when the shit goes down english yeah. bob can do it i can do it 
And, you know, we, we see, yeah. obviously, William Money being able to yes, do it. Can. It's not about being quick on the draw or anything. None of that stuff really matters. None of the conventional Western things. But it gives a nugget for remythologizing it. And it also, so the part that is not remythologized, though, not really, is the moral foundations being mm-hmm. cut from it, which certainly are. The, the moral foundations of the old Western myths are thoroughly removed and all the way up through to the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, the last line, which caps it all off. Uh, as the last exchange between Little Bill and William Money. You know, I don't deserve this to die like this. Well, he probably does deserve to die like this. But just in case you were wondering, is this trying to invert the morality? It's like, no, deserves got nothing to do with it. And then shoots him. It's like, there is, has nothing to do with morality, has nothing to do with right and wrong. It's just, you know... Killer, killers yeah. killing more or less senselessly. Yeah, that's one of the things I actually enjoyed about this. Because when I first watched this movie, I watched it because I was a big Clint Eastwood fan. And I had been reading. And by big Clint Eastwood fan, I mean in like the pop culture sense. Not in the sense that I had like watched a ton of his movies and like yeah. followed his career. I'd seen a couple of his movies. I knew who he was. And I had at the time been reading um, Stephen King's Dark Tower series, mm-hmm. which is... Surround, which is about a character named Roland, who mm-hmm. is the, the last gunslinger, mm-hmm. and he's modeled after Clint Eastwood. Yep. Uh, Clint Eastwood's character in The Good, The Bad, and Ugly, and you know the, mm-hmm. that series of movies. And so I, I through that sort of like weird osmosis of Roland mm-hmm. being kind of sort of modeled physically after mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood, um, I was like, you know, I have to see. Clint Eastwood in these in these um, these movies. I have mm-hmm. to watch these westerns. And the first one that I watched was Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is pretty cool, especially the last scene. The last scene is so fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. But watching it again, one of the things that I, I really liked about it is that there's so much more to it. Uh, I, you kind of talked about this, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Cliff, you said the same thing. You suggested it for Chase is that you watch it again and you see more. You see more connections. And one of the, the, the sort of main themes that stuck out to me is is uh, violence and the relationship people have to it um, in the idea that the entire movie starts off with an act of violence yeah. right every character is trying to build a relationship mm-hmm. or break a relationship with violence mm-hmm. little bill is trying to keep violence out of his own town at mm-hmm. the same time embracing how it makes him feel to be a violent yeah. person you know willie money is running away from violence uh, but you know, mm-hmm. um, he and Morgan Freeman come into it again because there's money involved. Yeah. And, you know, the, the sort of allure of violence and yeah. the mythology and story around violence that uh, uh, Duchamp plays is that this thing that even in the midst of this like horrible murder spree that William Money goes on in the mm-hmm. saloon, the first thing he asks him is, who did you kill first? yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I've yeah. heard that really well, uh, really yeah. good uh-huh. gunfighters kill the most dangerous person first. Who did you kill first? And he's like, "What the fuck are you talking?" Like, like <laughs> I, I don't know. He's like, "I don't know. I just killed the first person I killed." Like, I don't yeah, know what you're yeah. talking about. And so there's this there's mm-hmm. this idea of like the the mystery and pain and and a relationship with and cost of violence that yeah. permeates the entire fucking movie. Yeah. Well, it's it's about this. It's about the kind of the poisonous nature of 
the of the of the violence of the old west and that you know it basically is about the fact that like you have someone who, who like william money who's witnessed it firsthand realizes that no good could come from it has uh extricated himself from that entire situation he's living on a pig farm wants no part of that world and then is drawn back into it but is drawn back into it by the promise uh, by again, uh, uh, by what is essentially a, it, it's a, a chance for money, you know, for the whore's gold. But it's also he's drawn back in by the allure of the idea of righteous violence. That oh well, maybe this time because these are guys who had it coming. These are guys who cut up uh, a, mm. a woman, you know. That maybe it's it'll be okay this time. And he uses that to convince Ned, and he uses that, uh, you know, he's convinced by the Schofield kid. The problem is, it all, the the film is almost immediately begins to unravel that idea with uh you know the fact that of the the two cowboys uh who uh the bounty is on their head one of them is clearly like a really mean guy who cut up the girl mm-hmm. uh and is a sociopath and the other one is very nice and very young and you even see about the midway point the the uh all of the horrors from the town have they've already put out the bounty on their lives and after they've put the bounty out on their lives, the good cowboy returns and he tries to give his best pony to the girl and you see that she's willing to accept the pony and it's now, uh, I forget the name of the the, the, the head prostitute. Strawberry. Strawberry. Uh, she comes in and says, you know, no, that won't do and, you know, and they throw rocks and dirt at him and send him away and we realize that now... It's like they were there. There might could have been something good that came of this, but now that the wheels of mo- are in motion for you know retribution, for vengeance, for justice, these Western things that bad shit is inevitable, and and the result of what happened, the violence, and then ultimately the uh, the, 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 the 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 desire to reclaim justice through violence, which is the bounty they put on their head, is only going to result in more bad shit for everybody. Yeah, and in Ned's death and in uh, little Bill, else's death. even uh, his deputy, even sort of like uh, is it his deputy or is it mm. the the pool hall owner who basically is like talks about Skinny. how like he's he's like they've been they've been telling everyone yeah. coming in that they have a thousand dollars for two weeks, yeah. for two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Mm. and the the Lord sort of like look of realization of like there's momentum to this yeah, yeah. that they cannot stop can't reel it back in now yeah. uh and that type of like inevitability they don't he doesn't they don't really play it up in the movie mm-hmm. it's something i feel like in a more if, if the unforgiven was made today that yeah. sort of like inevitability would be would be like really heavy-handed yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, the the momentum of that violence yeah. is made really clear early on and it sort of builds yeah. to that that crazy fucking climax in the saloon, yeah. uh, and you start seeing that it's almost as if it was inevitable. Yeah. There's there is nothing that can be done to to uh, close this box back up again. Mm-hmm. And I can say another thing to talk about. Just uh, you know, one of the great virtues of this film is how much important stuff it gets away ha- with happening off screen. Mm. in the movie because it's the kind of film where were there other screenwriters who were writing it were other filmmakers making it there's so many things that we would have seen that I think would have been to the detriment of uh, the film and to the detriment of their ability to tell such a big and complex story in such a in, in just a regular two hour feature I mean like Ned getting captured and all of these other and his death and all of these other there's a bunch of scenes throughout that uh, in another film we would have seen on screen yeah. and you could even say like oh well 
well, it's all from uh, the perspective of uh, uh, of Clint Eastwood or or or, or um, Gene Hackman. Not really. Perspective shifts quite a bit in the film. It's just amazing how much they've removed from the sequence of events of the film, such that. Um, you know, you, your mind has to fill in a lot of gaps, and yet it just functions beautifully and perfectly as is. It just doesn't feel like it has enough there even to hold it up, and yet it's all, and yet it's all there. And so, yeah. Um, but to return to a point that Cliff was making earlier, the uh, the the idea that I, I you can't say enough good things about the scene with 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 uh, with Gene Hackman as Little Bill and W W Duchamp, where he's kind of he explains the whole uh, English Bob <laughs> two gun, in fact, the two whatever. gun guy. Oh, he yeah. wasn't called two guns because he has two guns. He was called two guns because he had a dick that was longer than the barrel of this. And then his gun blew up in his hand. And then you know, and then English Bob executed him. And that's what the duel was and the whole thing. And you see it all taken away. But then as it subtly begins to build it back in, he says those who can keep their cool. And I just want to po- point out that he like he, he basically lays out these new rules that it's not about who's the quickest on the draw. It's about who, those who can keep their cool. And how well that idea is communicated in the final scene because in the final scene of the film you know there's nothing like it's it's there it's literally just a bunch of guys standing in one room together they all have guns pointed at each other and then Clint Eastwood starts capping motherfuckers and you see them you just see the panicked looks on their faces as these guys with shaking they're like I don't know how to shoot this thing are literally trying to remember how to point their guns while they're running backwards at the same time because they're terrified and Clint Eastwood just boom 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 not really in a hurry even even until and including and past the point in which his gun misfires Mm -hmm. and he's Mm -hmm. just very coolly is like okay and just moves moves right on to the next to the next machine with which he will murder and the other thing by the way (laughs) maybe one of the best and most subtle and powerful moments that I'm still kind of in awe of is just how the subtlety the minimalism with which they treat his decision to start drinking the whiskey yeah the whole film and he touches on it all the time he's like i killed a bunch of people but I was drunk most of the time or it was whiskey that done it for the most part and he talks about it constantly he's offered when it's pouring rain Ned's offering him whiskey and he's like no don't touch the stuff he's like it's raining you know it's raining Will you gotta drink something you know and then um it goes and goes and goes, and then when I forget the name uh, of uh, the girl who rides up to give him the money and tell him, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After they kill the second cowboy, she rides up, and it's like the Schofield kid, which is a whole other great thing because he kills the cowboy while he's taking his shit, and then just starts crying and says he's never going to kill anyone ever again. That whole scene plays out. She rides up the hill on her horse, and they're like, "All right, we need to meet Ned and give him his share." And she says, "Well, don't you know, Ned? Ned? Ned's dead. You know, little Bill was beating on him, and then he just died." And then it's in just the shot, just the two shot, I guess, of him, and, and, the, and he just his hand goes down. There's no insert or anything. He just picks up a bottle of whiskey, uncorks it, and just starts sipping the whiskey. <laughs> she hasn't, she hasn't even finished her story yet. She just starts sipping the whiskey, and it's just there. It just happens so. It's so subtle. It's so unaffected uh, in any way. It is just, you just see it happen and you know immediately beca- based on everything, <laughs> the repeated instances oh, about whiskey, killing. whiskey, that like something has changed. It's killing time. Yeah, it's killing time now. Yeah. And there's you boy. the devil is waking up again. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I think, uh, you know, that idea of the minimalism of the movie, mm-hmm. you mentioned a few different points in which it happened, right? It's like 
there's a lot of things that are key to the story which happen off screen. The mm. uh, one of the most important pivotal turning points of the entire thing that sets up the entire last mm-hmm. 15 minutes of the movie happens Doesn't happen on screen. Basically yep. happens like you know mm-hmm. in like a half motion, right? Yeah. Um, and you know the the fact that a lot of the themes aren't as uh, heavy handed. I, I really like that about the movie. It gives you the room to like figure it out. And I also think it, it plays into the fact that, you know, you mentioned how there's an exaggeration every time the story Mm -hmm. is told of, uh, the whore getting cut. Right. And it makes you play that same game Mm -hmm. because as the viewer, not getting all the information spoon fed to you, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to figure out, you know, like I like William money. Is he making the right decision here? Like did something weird happen? I, I like little bill. Little bills like keeping this place safe. Like Mm -hmm. why is this going on? And like Mm -hmm. you have to make these judgment calls about the characters that aren't being spoon fed to you. Like here's Mm -hmm. the man in the black hat. Mm -hmm. Here's the cowboy with the white hat. Like this isn't, you're not being given black hat, white hat. You're being given like this very ugly, shitty brown, gray world. All these people wear brown hats <laughs> everyone wears brown hats and yeah. uh and in the end you root for the most ruthless fucking murderer the of them all. that's the ultimate that's i mean that's also the ultimate thing that underlies the whole movie and it's crucial to you know it's it's crucial to its power on a plot level and it's crucial to its power on a on a, a uh a, on an action level but it's also crucial on a thematic level is the idea that even our are the, the I, that we have to contend with is the idea that our most virtuous character of our main characters, the one who does the most good over the course of the film, who's most resistant to doing evil, we have to know was apparently a monster who killed women and children just a few years ago in the past. That's one of those things that um, I, uh, I was reminded of it when we would watch spoilers for Game of Thrones if you haven't seen Game of Thrones but <laughs> it's one of those things that I, I uh, thought about when uh, when the Game of Thrones season was had with characters like Jamie Lannister and those sorts mm-hmm. of things people see them make these huge changes yeah. from like sociopath to like good guy character uh, over the course of a scene it's great that now with these long form television things we can see someone make that transition from like uh, from you know the Jamie Lannister who's pushing kids out of windows to like the character he is later on but what I love love about this film is it it doesn't say oh he was kind of a rough customer or anything like that it was like we have to and it's it's not just about making him seem badass it's like it's part, it's central to understanding the film is your most virtuous character like used to kill women and children borderline because, evil yes border was yeah oh was borderline no, no, evil. not borderline it's like, it like full on evil he was full he was as as evil Ar- as evil can get armin draws the line yeah. somewhere else he's like you can kill women and children just no dogs just no dogs. Just no dogs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one other aspect that cannot be uh, left unstated in this discussion here is, by contrast, and uh, to uh, the Crying Game, which we discussed a little while ago. And there's no huge knock on the Crying Game, but you know, whatever it is, what it is. Uh, unlike the Crying Game, where we talked about, there's you know, no there's some aspects dicks. technically which aren't great. Some the some of the cinema isn't great. Some of the performances aren't great. Some of the but 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 it has a lot of little flaws in it, despite being a great movie. Unforgiven is one of those rare movies that, on every conceivable level, is perfect. Yeah. The screen, every line of the screenplay, every scene that is or isn't featured in the screenplay is a perfectly written scene. Every shot, every frame is just gorgeous and perfect. Every performance, every performance, every slight note or subtle hint that's present in any performance, every line reading is 
perfect. Yeah, and just there to, isn't just to, a single there isn't anything and, about this movie that isn't perfect. Well, and just to and just to just to touch on that for a second, like it's the kind of thing where you know when you first see the film, you see kind of the big virtues, the big cool scenes, the big cool characters, the big cool moments, and then you slowly, as you watch it more, and you begin to fill in the gaps between those and realize the significance of every little line, every little thing along the way. You realize that it's a film that is so good because it's built on such a strong foundation of an integration of a thematic idea they really wanted to wrestle with, perfectly integrated into a group of characters Mm. who embody different aspects of that. So it's almost impossible for these characters to interact with one another, to talk to each other, to have conflicts with one another without everything that they're saying and everything that they're doing resonating somehow Back to the back to those central themes yeah. and motifs that anchor the whole movie together, and so it's like when you have, you know, English Bob talking to W. W. Duchamp, who's talking to Little Bill, who's then comes into conflict with with William Money. It all builds up. So then on top of that, you have the idea of you have the perfect execution of the film, which is you know, I mean, clearly Clint Eastwood recognized it was a perfect script, and then all these years later he ends up making it, and he had enough clout at the time to just and know how as a director to, and this cannot be uh, overemphasized, perfectly cast the film. It's like, who plays Skinny? The only actor who could ever play Skinny. Because just look at him. That Look at that <laughs> fucking guy just being that character. And the idea of someone who could be alternately friendly and terrifying in, in, uh, in Gene Hackman, you know, who is, uh, who is... I still remember being a kid and seeing the scene where this friendly sheriff just mercilessly kicks the shit out of uh, English Bob and you realize that, you know, it's like, holy shit, this guy doesn't seem very nice. He seems <laughs> really scary all of a sudden. Uh, and he's like, who's introduced? He's a friendly guy who's like building a house. Building his own shitty house. Building his own shitty house. A running gag of what a poor carpenter he yes, is. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then throughout, and it's just so, again, it's the kind of thing where it's like, and obviously Clint Eastwood knew that he was the perfect guy to play that role and can't do any better than Morgan Freeman. And it's just, when you have a screenplay that is built on such solid foundations, that's executed so well, that's so perfectly cast, and then you have Clint Eastwood bringing to bear just decades and decades of experience working on westerns from being on like American TV westerns in the 60s to going to Italy and doing spaghetti westerns with Sergio Leone to doing more American westerns around the same period your High Plains Drifters your Outlaw Josie Wales he just has decades of experience of how to shoot people on horses with guns and hats <laughs> um, it just you you get a, you get one of those rare rare perfect movies I've got to so. say that the Two scenes stand out to me in this movie as like all timers. Mm-hmm. One is the last scene mm-hmm. and just the deserves ain't got nothing to do with it mm-hmm. is one of the coolest fucking lines ever in a movie. But the, the other scene that really stands out to me is when uh, Lil Bill and English Bob and Duchamp are, are in the jail mm-hmm. and Lil Bill is like, you want to see what happens? Give him the gun. Mm-hmm. And that like that turn yeah. in his voice, in his face, yep. and he's just like, "Give him the gun." Yeah, and that I that just like the the terror yeah. of of that that moment, that tension of like, "Holy fuck, is he gonna give him the gun? Yeah. Is he gonna actually like mm. take it and shoot this motherfucker right now?" Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't. I still I had watched. I've seen this movie before. Seeing it for the second time again, I was like, "What the fuck is gonna happen?" Yeah, yeah. I can't. I I can't. This tension's <laughs> killing me, yeah, and yeah. it's just so fucking well done. And that that like the menace in his voice of of saying give him the gun yeah, yeah. is is so is is just like 
it's a per, I, it's a perfect moment. It's a perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. moment in fucking mm-hmm. cinema. Yeah, I and I think it's also I think that a lot of that tension comes from the fact that in a lot of ways WWE Duchamp, uh, though he's kind of a weasel, is kind of our audience surrogate. Is mm-hmm. the kind of person who's like, I've seen westerns before. You're the sheriff, and he's the guy, and whoever's quickest on the draw. And it's so it's like we're kind of identifying with that character. And so when he's kind of hanging out with Gene Hackman, we're like, yeah, we're hanging out with Little Bill. And when things get real, we get scared yeah. because yeah. we realize that we are out of our element. Uh, yeah. That these are not not you know friendly western archetypes but these are in fact all really really mean men who kind of are waiting for the chance to murder each other and to the point where in the in the last scene when he begins talking to clint eastwood asking questions so apparently the gun uh, experienced gunfighter takes it by that point we're so dialed in everything that's going on we're just thinking shut the fuck up shut the fuck yeah. up get the fuck out of there shut up shut up shut up yeah. shut up i think i think the biggest takeaway for me from the entire movie is uh is that farming is super fucking expensive and hard and owning and operating a farm takes a lot out of you. Yes. Seems yeah. like it. It looks like it, it, uh, it aged him quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, there is one thread that I think that is, uh, well, with whatever time we have left, I want to touch on, which is just the, the notion, the thing that bookends the movie, the idea, the, and to talk about the minimalism of the film, Clint Eastwood's uh, dead wife in the film who civilized him, you know, who basically found her. It is, it is in, his story told entirely by implication, and yet it is somehow one of the most powerful romances in film history. Happens <laughs> off camera, and it's but it's still so compelling. The idea that he was an evil, evil man. He met a woman, then he became a good man, and he's trying to live. And now she has passed on, and in order to protect her kids, he's trying every day to make up for the bad man he was and sort of protect this idea. And the fact that it ends, the film ends, uh, and to speak, and it ends by perfectly bringing together the power of that romance with the, the thematic core of the movie, which is uh, the final text on the screen basically says, you know, years later, the wife's mother ended up visiting their farmstead. He had long since moved on, but she saw the grave. But there was nothing on the grave or there to indicate why it was that her uh, only daughter married a man of notoriously ill temper and violent whatever. And it's just proper because it means there is like that is the legend that is the the most powerful story and yet there it will not live on there was no record of it ever happening there's nothing to indicate that's the story and that the one story that is the, that is the core of all of this will will go untold and it's in a film that's entirely about people telling and retelling each other's stories that's the one story that no one will read and it's just such a a staggeringly perfect note on which to end a movie. I don't know. It's that uh, gets me every time. Yeah. Where it was rumored he prospered in dry goods. Where yes, where, and I love that. <laughs> he and I just to, yeah. love that deal. <laughs> he had long since moved on to San Francisco, where it was rumored he prospered in dry goods. And I uh, love that. Yeah. I, I there's a lot about this movie I love. We're running short on time, so we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cut it here. Mm-hmm. But the the core of the matter is if you haven't seen it, watch it. If you have seen it, watch it. Yeah. It gets better every single time. And real quick, Armin, the best line in the movie from Morgan Freeman, go. Oh, it's when Morgan Freeman's asking him if he just uses his hand yes, all the time. Just yeah. use her hand? <laughs> you just use your hand? You just jerking off all the time? Just yeah. like just like jerking that dick constantly uh, or what, bro? I'm pretty sure it's the yeah, exact line. That's yes, not yes. what he said. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's the like two of the best actors of our generation getting together to just fucking talk about jerking off. It's yes. fantastic. Uh, all right, we have 
We have 60 seconds. I'm at Mr. Kyle Bogart on the most central Instagram on the count on the internet. Cliff Dick Slap Bogart is at Cliff Bogart on Instagram. At Chase504 on Instagram. And you can find me at Arm and Hammer TV and you can find the show at Sand Podcast. And I promise sooner rather than later, all these shirts are going to be available and you're going to be able to give us your hard-earned money for clothing. Thank you so much, everybody. (laughs) And we'll catch you next week. Later.